I was in high school and my family moved from Ohio to Oklahoma. And when we got here, I found a job at Brahms, and it was there that I met a young man who attended the same school that I was attending, this new school. And I kind of had a crush on him, and it seemed that uh, he was okay with that. So we sat together in the school cafeteria, and we started talking, and we ate lunch together. And I remember some of the conversations that we had, one in particular, where we discussed what we wanted to do when we grew up. He was interested in engineering, and I told him that I wanted to have a job where I made enough money that I could buy and run a camp for children. Now, it was an absolutely truthful statement, but I also knew that I was probably going to impress him with my ambition. But when I looked over at him, he had this strange look, like I had the plague or something, and he told me to hunger after riches was sinful. And so I thought that maybe he didn't hear what I wanted to do with the money, And so I told him, I don't want to be rich per se. I want to buy and run a camp for children. But it was obvious that it didn't matter what the reason was. And so he began to tell me that to want money or to desire after wealth was sinful. And God didn't want that in our lives. And it was at that moment that I forgot that I was trying to impress him. And I began just to argue with him. And I said that I was certain that God didn't mind when people had money, especially if they used it wisely and to help others. And I felt sure that God wanted to use us to make a difference in the world and that money could be a resource to make that happen. It was at that moment that I discovered that not only did he think money was bad, He also thought it was very bad for a woman to tell a man anything about God and the Bible. Now, needless to say, we didn't have a love connection, but it was one of those moments that was really important for me because I was challenged to think about why I believed the things that I did. This morning, we want to continue our sermon series, Famous Sayings of the Bible, that aren't actually there. We're looking at different thoughts and quotes that sound scriptural, but they're not really in the Bible in the form that we know them to be. And it's important that we look at them to think about why we believe them or why we trust and follow them. A lot of them can sound like they're from the Bible, but actually they don't have much truth about God in them. Last week, Dr. Long shared with us the saying, everything happens for a reason, and how that isn't found in the Bible. In fact, it's really problematic when we start to subscribe to that type of theology, blaming God for everything that occurs. It doesn't say much for God's love in our lives. A lot of sayings will have a grain of truth to them. And it's important to think about where we're hearing them or what we apply them to. Sometimes we'll take scriptures out of context or we'll quote a scripture and we'll leave out a few key words. For example, most are familiar with the saying, money is the root of all evil and think they're quoting scripture, but they've left off a very important word. It's not money is the root of all evil. 
But the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, sometimes there are money quotes that sound like they could come straight out of the book of Proverbs. For example, neither a borrower nor a lender be. That's actually from Shakespeare. A penny saved is a penny earned. That's attributed to Benjamin Franklin. And one more recent that may not sound exactly scriptural, but I actually think it could fit in the Bible, you can't take it with you. And that kind of goes to our saying that we're going to discuss today, a fool and his money are soon parted. Now, that's not in the Bible. And yet there's a grain of truth to it. If we make foolish financial decisions, it's no wonder that our money seems to leave us quickly. I would love it if all of the emails I've received from the royal household in Nigeria were true, because I would then be rich many times over if I would just help them in their dire situation. But that actually brings to mind another saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. A fool and his money are soon parted. Now, that's not in the Bible. It actually comes from the late 16th century in England. It's first found in a form by a, to- a poem by Thomas Tusser, and then in its actual wording in a book by Dr. John Bridges. The book is entitled The Defense of the Government of the Church of England. And in it, he says, a fool and his money are soon parted. Now, that says something. We don't want to assume that everybody who has no money is foolish. And we don't want to think that everybody who has made mistakes is a foolish person. But there is a grain of truth. And so we want to look for what God would say about this scripture in our lives. And we look to the scripture in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, when we come to any scriptures about money, it's important to know that there's nothing wrong with wanting money. We all want a salary for hard work. We hope for raises that will match inflation and hopefully better our family's ability to thrive in the world. But problems arise when we start to hunger after wealth or possessions to the detriment of our relationships. When we start to love anything more than God and our loved ones. We've all seen people that tend to worship things in an unhealthy way. Remember, it's not the money that's the root of all evil, but the love of money. And truthfully, the love of anything beyond God can cause problems in our lives. It can be that we have an imbalanced life if we love our jobs or power or money or alcohol or sports or anything more than God and our loved ones. And so we look to this this scripture passage. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching this sermon, and he starts off in a very kind of a spiritual discussion about what it means to be a follower of God. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then he goes on to say that the followers of God are the salt of the earth, and they're like a light on a hilltop that shouldn't be hidden. But then he goes from that kind of spiritual talk, and he brings it very practical about this is how you live a life as a follower of God. Here are the choices that you make day in and day out. Now, 
the place where the Sermon on the Mount happened, if you travel to the Holy Land, you can go to a very likely location of it. It's on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. And the area itself is still very rural. And you realize it hasn't changed much from the time of Christ. So it's easy to imagine the crowds gathering there by the sea, catching the breezes that came off of the water. Now, the area itself is bowl-shaped, and so it has a natural acoustic to it so that it's uh, easy to hear someone when they're speaking. And the crowds came, and they were very large and diverse. There would have been the Jewish community leaders. There were men and women with their children. There would have been the wealthy and the privileged, as well as those who were struggling with their finances and those who were in abject poverty beggars and slaves. Very likely there would have been Roman soldiers there to keep an eye on the crowds and religious leaders. It's interesting to me that when Jesus comes to this section of the sermon that he's talking about money, that he doesn't direct it to one part of the group or another. He doesn't say, this is for you who have a lot of money, or this is for you who are poor. It's a message for all of them, just as if it's a message for us today. It doesn't matter how much or how little money we have. Christ still calls us to manage it well, to not store up treasures on earth that will fade away. We aren't called to waste our money, but rather seek after the things that are eternal and meaningful. We are to pursue those things. It'd be foolish for us to waste the resources that we have been given in this life. And I think there are three things that we can discuss this morning that can help prevent that. First, it's important that we control our finances rather than be controlled by them. It's important to be smart where money is concerned. The founder and the leader of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, spoke a great deal about money, and in one of his sermons, he had the phrase, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Now, this was transformative in 18th century England because there was uh, a huge divide between the upper and the lower classes. They were on the verge of a revolution like had occurred in France. Many in the upper classes were consumed with wanting to acquire more power, more money. And many in the lower classes were consumed with all that had been unjustly and unfairly denied them. John Wesley and members of his Methodist group took a missional concern in the poorest of the poor, and they reached out and they ministered to them and they visited them in the prisons They went to those who were in the lowest working class, the miners. They went to those who were uneducated, started to develop programs, those who were in debtor's prison. And because they showed this missional concern, the people listened to their advice. Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. The people began working hard and earning better wages. Instead of going to the pubs or taverns after work and drinking away their meager paychecks, they actually started saving some. And eventually, they began giving some away to make a difference, and it did. 
This is a, a practical application. We are to be intentional about earning, saving, and giving. But there's a balance for each one of us that we all must find. It's important that we're thoughtful and we think about it, though. I've seen too many people that uh, wait to save or they wait to spend People who have frittered frittered away all of their money, and when a time of crisis comes, they don't have any in savings to draw back upon. Or some who have frittered away their lives, and they have saved every penny and not spent a dime, waiting for that day, maybe when they're retired or they have enough money, and then a crisis happens, a health problem, and they never get to enjoy all of their hard work. It's important that we find balance to save, to spend, and to give away. Maybe it's you save 10%, you give 10%, and you live on the other 80%. You have to find what balance works in your life. Bill and Grace Wildey were a couple who were longtime members of this church when they passed away a few years ago. Bill had been a pilot in World War II, He flew a B-24, and he and his crew flew over 35 bombing runs in the Pacific Theater, and they all returned home safely. When he came back, he went to college and obtained a degree in electrical engineering, and he finally moved back to Oklahoma, moved to Oklahoma City, and started attending St. Luke's, where he met Grace. They fell in love and got married. Because they met later in life, they never had any children, but they loved each other dearly. And they were careful and managed their money well. They both worked, and they worked hard to earn money. Grace was an executive assistant with Kerr McGee for many years before she retired, and Bill worked for Southwestern Bell for 35 years. And together, they earned money, but then they saved all they could. And then they were very frugal when they did spend money. Now, being frugal didn't mean that they didn't spend it at all. In fact, they built a beautiful home. It was a show home. It had designer wallpaper and matching furnishings of the day. They kept it in pristine condition. They also loved to travel, and they traveled and took trips all over the world And they loved to entertain. They hosted parties in their home for their friends. Over the years, as they grew older, they traveled and entertained less. But they continued to be very involved with the ministries of St. Luke's. Going into their 90s, one of their greatest joys was the fact that they had made the decision to give their entire estate to the church. They had no heirs. And so... Uh, every month when the bank statement would arrive, they would pour over it by the penny, checking it out. And they had such great joy knowing that they were growing this gift for the church. This was their legacy. They lived their lives in an incredible way, earning all they could, saving all they could, being intentional about the way they spent their money, They had memories for a lifetime. And then in the end, they gave it all away, knowing that the gift would bless lives here at St. Luke's for generation, years and years to come. 
Second, it's important that we spend money on things that make memories, things of meaning and mission. One of the most foolish things that we can do where our money is concerned is to hunger after stuff and things. Sometimes people have used the accumulation of things as a substitute for true happiness, and it doesn't work. The saying, a fool and his money are soon parted, doesn't just suggest somebody who makes bad decisions and loses their money. It's also a really good description of what happens when you hunger after things because you'll never have enough. You have to buy the latest models. You have to get the newest technology. You have to get bigger and better and newer. And it's never enough. It will consume you. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can be intentional about the things that we buy and purchase and where we spend our money. We can be intentional about spending in ways that create memories. My grandparents were an integral part of my life. They helped to shape and mold me into the person I am. My grandfather retired from National Cash Register Company, NCR, in Dayton, Ohio, and my grandmother retired as a school teacher. They never made a lot of money, but they managed it well. They earned what they could, and then they saved their money. And then they were very intentional in the ways that they spent it. They didn't go out a lot, uh, but they typically spent it on family. In their 64 years of marriage, they had six children, 18 grandchildren, and many great-grandchildren. And so they were spending their money on caring for family, providing, getting gifts, taking trips and making memories, and and visiting their family all over the country because everyone was scattered. They always seemed to know when something was needed. When my father lost his job at Dayton Tire and Rubber in Dayton and Ohio, which would be the reason we moved to Oklahoma, they knew that the finances were tight at our house, and so they helped with my school clothes, and they made sure that I had my class ring when it came that time. When we moved to Oklahoma, they took several trips to visit us here. They were here to see me off for high school prom. They were here for my high school graduation. They came to visit me in college. They were here when I got married. They visited so many times. After college, my grandfather developed Alzheimer's. And after a few years, it was obvious that he needed to receive the care in a nursing home. And after several years there, it took up the life savings that they had worked so hard for. My grandmother didn't have the resources to travel as much. And so I went to go visit her. But somewhere in that time, I had what I thought was an inspired idea from God Truly, I called her up one time, and I said, Grandma, I would really like to buy you a plane ticket to Oklahoma. Now, at first, she tried to talk me out of it and say, Oh, no, I'll try to save my money and come visit you. And, and I told her, You and Grandpa have done so much for me over the years. Please allow me the joy of doing this for you. Well, that got her, and, and so I made arrangements to buy and, and for her to pick up the ticket and before I knew it, I was driving to Oklahoma City to pick her up at Will Rogers Airport. 
Now, this was over 20 years ago, but I can still tell you where I parked just outside of baggage claim because it meant that much to me. I remember how she looked when she stepped out with her suitcase. I loaded it in the trunk and I put her, opened the door and put her in the front seat and I treated her like a queen for the next few days. I cooked for her at home. I took her out to restaurants. I took her to see our church in Elk City and the hospital where I was working as a physical therapist. I showed her off to everybody. I wanted everybody to meet my grandmother and We took uh, her around to see the sights of Oklahoma. It was spring, and so we went down to Quartz Mountain Lodge where the redbuds were blooming. It was beautiful. Now, I have to tell you that it was just such a joy to have that time with her. My grandparents had done so much for me over the years. They provided for me. They took me on trips. They gave me some of the most meaningful gifts of my life. I could never repay them, and I wasn't trying to. I had seen how they had lived this example of spending your money on on making memories and doing something meaningful for someone else, and I was just trying to follow in their footsteps. But I have to tell you that after all that money's gone, you know, the money for the gasoline and the food and the restaurants and the plane ticket, it's all long gone many years ago. But the memories I have will last me forever. Absolutely with some of the best money I've ever spent. Find ways to use your money to create joy, to make memories to do something meaningful for someone else. Those things will last you a lifetime. And third, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I love this scripture passage that was read this morning because it has two instructions, but then it kind of has this culmination at the end. The two instructions are are kind of mere images. Do not lay up treasures on earth because they'll fade away. In other words, don't waste your money on frivolous things. Rather, lay up treasures in heaven. Invest in things of value and meaning. And then it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What happens if we will be faithful and disciplined in making these kind of choices day in and day out, that that very lifestyle becomes our treasure. It becomes the joy we seek. A lifetime of seeking after the ways of God becomes our greatest meaning in life. For Bill and Grace Wildy, they live their entire life making these kind of decisions on when to earn, when to save, when to spend what to spend it on, and when to give. And they left behind an incredible legacy. But it was the joy of the decisions, it was the lifestyle that they lived over and over again that brought them incredible meaning. That was their treasure. But sometimes in life, we think it's only the big gifts that count. The largest gifts make the most difference. But the best gifts are those that come from the heart. Those that involve hard work and sacrifice. Grace and Bill had a lifetime of work and sacrifice to be able to give this estate to the church. But it wasn't the amount of the gift that made it special. It was the joy and gratitude they had for God. 
that can happen with whatever size gift we're able to give. Several years ago, there was a young couple that began to attend uh, St. Luke's. And once they started coming, they did not miss anything. They were here for Wednesday Night Alive. They were here every Sunday morning for worship. They were hungry to know God. A few weeks after they'd been here, they walked down front after the service to join and become members. She was very quiet and shy, and he was more gregarious, but it was obvious that both of them had this joy at finding a new church home. They were so much in love with each other, and they loved St. Luke's. Now, we had a sense, we had a feeling that they had struggles in life, though they never mentioned anything. But after they had been here a while, they, we got them to open up to us. And basically, they were homeless. They were paying for the week to live in a motel room. But they told us that, and they weren't complaining. They were actually very appreciative because it was a step up from when they had to live out of their car. And they were now living in this motel room, paying by the week, just trying to fix their life and get it back together. And then they asked us if they could get married in the chapel. We were so excited to be a part of that. Unfortunately, both of their families were somewhat estranged from them, had kind of shut them out, although they were so hopeful that one of their mothers would come to the wedding ceremony. In the end, the only people that were there for them were members of their St. Luke's church family. It was a beautiful ceremony. We all cried. Now, I have to admit to you, that after I found out about their financial struggles, I started becoming focused on how we could help them. But then I discovered that when they thought about their finances, they were focused on how they could help the church. You see, they came to St. Luke's during one of our capital campaigns, and they wanted to be a part of it. They weren't able to have a checking account at the time, and so every Saturday they went down to the grocery store and made arrangements to get a cashier's check so they could place that in the offering plate the next morning. This was a couple that was living and paying by the week for a motel room, and they were taking some of their money every week, setting aside to give to God, and they found incredible joy in being able to do that. It wasn't the largest gift in the campaign, but I can tell you that there was no greater sacrifice or no greater joy and sense of gratitude behind it. After a while, he received a a job opportunity in a different state, but they kept in touch with us. They were able to get their own place, and they found a new church and became involved. And then we heard that she had become pregnant and gave birth to a baby daughter, Over the years, they have since moved back to Oklahoma, though in a different part of the state, and he has a great job. They are extremely involved in their Methodist church. He has been the chair of the board of trustees, and she has been the president in the United Methodist Women's Group there, and the pastor of that church told me that she has taken every single Bible study that they have ever offered. She's the first to sign up. And just a couple weeks ago, we got the news that she gave birth to their second child, a little baby boy. 
God has transformed their lives. Not because they gave money, but because they gave their hearts. Because they were faithful with their lives over and over to give what they could, to live in a way to seek to love God and to love others. They are faithful witnesses that no matter the size of the gift, your life can become your treasure. A fool and his money are soon parted. But it doesn't have to be that way for us. We can use our resources, our money, our decisions to choose a life that becomes our treasure. We can have joy and meaning every single day. We can make memories that last a lifetime. And we'll find that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.